This afternoon, congregation, we deal with Lord's Day 34 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 34, we'll also read in connection with that Belgian Confession, Article 25. But we begin with Lord's Day 34. And there we confess the, the following from the Word of God. What is the law of the Lord? And God spoke, God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And then follow the other commandments as we also heard them uh, read this morning. Then question answer 93. How are these commandments divided into two parts? The first teaches us how to live in relation to God. And the second, what duties we owe our neighbor What does the Lord require in the first commandment? That for the sake of my very salvation, I avoid and flee all idolatry, witchcraft, superstition, and prayer to saints or to other creatures. Further, that I rightly come to know the only true God, trust in Him alone, submit to Him with all humility and patience, expect all good from Him only, and love, fear, and honor Him with with all my heart. In short, that I forsake all creatures rather than do the least thing against his will. What is idolatry? Idolatry is having or inventing something in which to put our trust instead of or in addition to the only true God who has revealed himself in his word. So far, the catechism will also read Article 25 of the Belgic Confession. Page 509 in the Book of Praise, Christ, the Fulfillment of the Law. We believe that, all, that the ceremonies and symbols of the law have ceased with the coming of Christ and that all shadows have been fulfilled so that the use of them ought to be abolished among Christians. Yet their truth and substance remain for us in Jesus Christ in whom they have been fulfilled. In the, the meantime, we still use the testimonies taken from the law and the prophets both to confirm us in the doctrine of the gospel and to order our life in all honesty according to God's will and to his glory. So far, our confessions. Brothers and sisters in the Lord and boys and girls belonging to the Lord, every Sunday morning we read the law and the worship service and Every year when we go through the Heidelberg Catechism in the afternoon services, there's, uh, you have the preaching on the Ten Commandments. We're used to that here, but you realize, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, that as churches we're becoming more and more unique in reading the law like that in worship. There are quite a few churches today which have dropped the reading of the law in worship. Quite a few Christians today wonder whether those ancient old commandments really are suitable for our modern day um, and age and culture because times and culture change. We don't see things today the same way our fathers saw them, even 50 years ago, they say. So how can a law that is thousands of years old tell us how we ought to live our lives today? In fact, the slogan today is freedom from law. This is the God of our postmodern age. Individual freedom to choose to do what you feel like doing. Everybody should 
be able to decide for himself or herself what's right and wrong, what's good and evil. Man has become a norm to himself, and they believe that it should be free to do that. And you realize, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, that nowadays a lot of people, therefore, see God's law as a yoke, a restrictive yoke that people don't want anymore. It restricts your freedom. It destroys your pleasure in life. That's how a lot of people think today, even a lot of people who call themselves Christians. And so it's not always easy for us to maintain uh, the reading and the instruction in God's law. People see you uh, also if you want to live according to the law. People see you as old-fashioned, narrow-minded fundamentalists if you want to walk in the way of the law of God. You're not free. And you don't allow others that same freedom either. Is that true, congregation? Do you find that the law of God limits your freedom? Do you find it restrictive? Or is it a yoke that we ought to chuck aside as an outdated and restrictive old, old thing? Well, let's listen to what we confess from God's word in that regard. And I preach to you Lord's Day 34 with this theme, God's law gives freedom, gives liberty. And we see, first of all, that that's expressed already in the introduction to the law. And secondly, that's shown in the first commandment. So in the introduction to the law, we see that God's law gives liberty, freedom. Congregation, we read part of the first chapter of the letter of James. And James writes there about not only hearing God's word, but doing it. And then James writes, verse 25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Blessed in, in doing God's law. And notice that James says that it is the law of liberty. Looking into the law of liberty. That means the law that gives freedom. He actually repeats that in chapter 2, verse 12. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. And congregation, if you look carefully at the law of God, you'll see that it's not intended at all to restrict, but it is intended to give liberty, freedom. And you see that right at the beginning of the law already, right from the beginning. It says at the introduction of the law, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So God gave the law and this introduction of the law on Mount Sinai after he had already freed his people from the bondage in Egypt. Notice that God introduces himself here on, to the Israelites on Mount Sinai as the Lord your God. So the law isn't given to Israel, wasn't given to Israel by some despot who is out to keep the Israelites under his thumb. No, it's from the Lord your God. In other words, the faithful 
loving God of the covenant who gave his gracious word of promise to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob and all their descendants. And what had the Lord, that faithful and loving God of the covenant, done? He brought the Israelites out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. When God gave the law on Mount Sinai, he had just delivered Israel from the slavery of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Remember how they they had to work themselves to the bone in Egypt. How they groaned under those oppressive laws of Pharaoh. Well, the Lord heard their groans and cries. And not because the Israelites were such good people, not at all. We're told elsewhere that in the Bible that they also served other gods in Egypt. They didn't earn their deliverance from Egypt in any way. No, the Lord looked on his people in his mercy and he remembered the covenant he made with Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. So congregation, when God introduces himself in the law, he reminds his people how in his love and mercy and faithfulness he delivered them out of slavery and not to put them back into slavery, but to deliver them from it and keep them out of slavery. Their gracious God didn't give them the law to enslave them then, to restrict them, but to keep them free, liberate them. Obedience to God's law, in other words, is intended by the Lord to keep us free at liberty. A congregation, that introduction to the law applies to us today too, but even in a deeper sense. Of course, we were never really slaves in Egypt, but every time the introduction to the law is read here in church on Sunday mornings, you can think of your deliverance from a different kind of slavery. The slavery of sin and Satan and death. We are delivered from that bondage to sin and death through the work of Jesus Christ. When we hear that introduction to the law, we hear it something like this. You can hear it something like this today. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the realm of death, who delivered you from the slavery of Satan and from the bondage of sin through Jesus Christ. So the God who gives us the law every Sunday is the God who set us free from death and from the slavery of sin. And he gives us the law so we can live in that freedom. So we can stay free at liberty. And that's why James, in his letter, calls the law of God the perfect law that gives liberty. The perfect law of liberty. Notice that James calls it the perfect law of liberty. Perfect. Perfect because on the one hand it perfectly expresses God's divine nature and on the other hand it's also perfect because it perfectly matches our human nature. Those two sides of the law belong together. In his commandments God has taken what is true about himself and expressed that truth as a rule for his people to obey. In other words the law is about God's nature as it needs to come to light in our nature. Let me give you an example of what I mean. 
take the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. And at first sight, you might wonder what that commandment expresses about God's nature because sexual distinctions have no place in God. But this is not about the sexual relationship as such. It's actually about covenant faithfulness. As he has revealed himself to us in his word, God is completely faithful to his covenant promises. Well, it's that covenant faithfulness which is the point of the seventh commandment for us. In the seventh commandment, we're commanded to be faithful to the covenant of marriage. Just like God, who is faithful to his covenant with us and never breaks his word. Do you see how in his law then, God calls us to match our human actions to his divine activity. God's perfect law. And that perfect law also perfectly matches our divine nature, our our human nature. And that's because we are created in God's image and likeness in the beginning. We live truly human lives when we express God's likeness in our conduct. The more we obey God's law, the more we also reflect the image of God. The more we're the way God made us to be. In fact, you can say the more human we are. Think here, for instance, of of fish. Fish can live in water and are free to move around in water. But if a fish jumps out of an aquarium, it can't breathe and move properly, and eventually it'll die. So it is with us. Created in God's image in the beginning and perfect righteousness and holiness. So to live and act in holiness according to God's will is to really live and move about as human beings. But with the fall, we ended up with a sinful nature. We ended up wanting sin, and that meant losing our humanity, our human capabilities, and our freedom. We became like fish out of water. We ended up in bondage to sin and destined for death. But then God in his mercy came, and Christ delivered us from that bondage of sin and from death. And to use the imagery of the fish and the bowl, he put us back in the bowl again. And now we have the freedom to live and move again. The law of God is life and breath and freedom for humans, brothers and sisters, boys and girls. The more you obey that law, the more human you are, the more free you are. True freedom is the opportunity and the ability to be who we really are. Who, who we were created to be in the beginning, in God's image. And we're truly free human beings if we live according to God's law. That's how congregation, the law is the perfect law of liberty, as James calls it in the first chapter of his letter. We're truly human, free, when we live the life that belongs to those who are created in God's image. And the law of God is the law that gives liberty because it expresses and safeguards the life of true freedom in which Christ has set us with his death and resurrection. We were dying. He set us free. So then we live according to God's law, beloved. 
when we live according to God's law, then we, we live in freedom and in the joy which God in Christ has restored again. But if we ignore the law of God, if we push it aside, we dehumanize ourselves. And then freedom and joy actually depart from our lives. Instead of progress in freedom and joy, we slide slowly back into slavery and toward the darkness of death again. And we experience that, don't we, when we refuse to to do as God wants in his good commandments. And when we don't fight against sin in our lives. And when it gets a hold on us, then things degenerate. We become miserable. We become difficult. Our consciences bother us. And then we're fish out of water. Only God's law can give the life and the freedom and the joy we have been created for and redeemed for. And that's why the psalmist says, Psalm 119, verses 44 to 45, so shall I keep your law continually forever and ever, and I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. So from the introduction of the law, you see that God's law gives us freedom. It sets us free. That's the the point of the law. And we see that in the first commandment. And that's our second point. We see in the first commandment, God's law gives liberty. You shall have no other gods before me. First commandment. Congregation, this one is basic to the, the whole law. The Lord is not just a God among other gods. He's a one-of-a-kind being. He's incomparable. We read that in Isaiah. Listen again to verses 25 and 26 of Isaiah 40. To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Who brings their host out by number? He calls them out by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. See, God God is not a projection of man, as the history of religion people want to tell you today. He's not a projection of man. He is the creator of the universe and who upholds the whole universe. And by the strength of his power, there's not one star missing in the sky. Every night again. And he is the deliverer of his people. And he showed that in Egypt. And above all, he showed it on Golgotha. He is the almighty God of perfect wisdom and grace and love. This is the covenant God, the Lord, who delivered us from slavery And then in particular, the bondage of sin and death. Well, if that's the case, then we should love and trust him and him alone, right? Then you want to live for him alone, right? Then you're going to put your trust in his word alone, aren't you? It's like with marriage, which we mentioned before. God has promised and shown that he's loving and faithful to us. 
then we want to be loving and true and faithful to him too, right? There's no room for a third party in this covenant with him. Think of the marriage covenant as expressed in the form for marriage in the book of praise. There a husband or wife promises never to forsake each other, but to be true to each other always, in good days and bad, in riches and poverty, in health and sickness, for as long as they both shall live. God wants us never to forsake him, but to be true to him always, in good days and bad, whenever. After all, he is the God who set us free from bondage. He's the God of freedom, we could say. And if you think about that, then all other gods mean slavery again. You know, take Baal, the, that Canaanite god of fertility, for instance. Or the, the god worshipped by Papuan tribes today, Rafafu. Those gods enslave people. They enslave them with fear. Also the gods in our society today, money, sport, alcohol, drugs. People fork out all kinds of hard-earned cash for a little tiny chance of winning a lottery in a casino. They, they fill stadiums and arenas and churches have empty pews. And I don't need to elaborate on how alcohol and drugs and also sexual activity outside of marriage can enslave people, right? You become hooked. They, they need more all the time, these gods, to feel, to feel happy. It gets harder and harder to get out of their grip. These are gods people put their hope and trust in so many today, and they very easily and obviously make slaves out of you. Slaves. And there are other things, too, which in themselves are good, but which can end up also putting you in bondage. If you make gods out of them, if you put your hope and and all your trust in them, if you depend on them to give you comfort, status, career, business, health, pleasure. Those are things we can make too important in our lives and exalt in, in us, ourselves. And then they start taking over and start to rule us instead of us ruling over them. And then we, we skip the Bible reading because we're so involved with work or we skip church because our pleasure is more important than God's praise. How does that happen? That having other gods instead of or in addition to the only true God who delivered you. Actually, you know, if you think about it, it begins with fear. Our existence on earth here is vulnerable. is always at risk. And then we look for safety and comfort in things like status or our career, eroticism sport and so on but the sad thing is we're not going to find comfort and safety in things like that even though they promise to give them they won't give it they just keep you hooked it's maybe tomorrow maybe a little bit more of it our lives become more and more vulnerable then 
and at risk. And so we even look to those things more all the time and we let ourselves be enslaved by them. And brothers and sisters, boys and girls, that's why there are so many other gods in the world. So many other gods. Man was created in God's image to live for God in holiness and righteousness. That's the purpose of your life. But once you lose sight of that purpose, once you lose God as a central purpose, you're going to end up with a big hole in your life. And then you're going to try to fill that hole with something or someone else. But the hole is too big. And so you look for more and more to fill it all the time. It's a black hole. And God has given us all kinds of things to enjoy in this life. Possessions, sexuality, health, intellect, music abilities, and all those kind of things. But apart from Him, those things become powers which exercise control over your life. If you're trying to fill that hole with them, they become God's which more and more rob you of the peace and comfort and security there is in the only true God. And then it's like running down a steep hill. You go faster and faster and you lose control over your feet more and more. And it's like the Lord Jesus says, trying to gain your life, you end up losing it. I am the Lord your God who freed you from the bondage of Satan and sin and death. It says at the beginning of the law. And we need to learn to listen to that voice, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, because then we'll discover more and more what what real, true freedom is, living in freedom. We need to learn that the only way to live as free people is to put all our cards on God. On the God who loved us so much that he gave his only son for us. To have other gods besides him or in addition to him is actually wanting to control and build your own life. But we need to be willing to lose our lives to God, to give our lives over to him. And sometimes we're afraid to do that. But we need to be willing to lose our lives in him. And then we'll actually gain our lives. But you need to trust him for it. By nature, we don't want to lose our lives in order to gain them, right? We're inclined to want to hold on to our own lives. And so ultimately, it's always the God. When in the end, it becomes the God, me, myself, and I. We still want to be like God. We want to live our lives the way we want to. We want to be our own God. But whoever wants to be like God ends up becoming a slave of his or her own sinful nature, ultimately. How does it come about that we tend to keep running and running but have no time for our God and Father in Christ? It's because we're way too busy for ourselves. Way too busy for ourselves. We need to take the time for him. Pray, meditate on his word. And then, and then his power, the power of his spirit, will break through in our lives. And then we can give our lives to him.
lose our lives to him in order to gain them. And then we'll stop running and we'll want to serve him more and more. And then we're not slaves of ourselves or any other God, but slaves of him who sets us free. See, this is why the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. That means don't try to live without me in any part of your life. Include me in everything. Let me be the one you put all your hope and trust in. The one you you live for. Seek your life and peace in me. And then you will be what you were meant to be. What I intended you to be. And then you will find true freedom. So the relationship with this God congregation is not a restriction of your freedom. As a lot of people want to see it today. No, this is the basis for real freedom. This God. If you give yourself to this God who delivered you in Christ... Then, and only then, will you find true peace and comfort in all the pain and sorrow of this life. Comfort which no other God can give you. The only comfort there is in life and death. And someone put it this way one time. By giving in to your deepest desires, food, sex, power, revenge, money, you obtain the freedom of an animal but not the freedom to be a human being. But if you listen to God and his will, then you're truly a free human being. The only freedom God doesn't give you is the freedom to bring yourself into destruction. Congregation, don't let there be any other gods in your life instead of or in addition to the one true God who has revealed himself in his word as the one who delivered you from, the bond, from bondage in his son. All other gods that you trust and you give your life to are going to suck the life out of you. But this God is going to fill you more and more with his life, his nature. And that's the greatest comfort and joy there is. In him you find the freedom to soar on wings like eagles and the strength to run and not be weary. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your law which shows us how to be what you made us to be. And redeemed us to be. Shows us how to be free. Help us Lord to find that freedom. By obeying your first commandment. Serving you alone. There's so many other gods Lord. Who want to be served by us. Who want to control us. Who want to be more important to us. Than loving and serving and worshiping you. But help us to. Entrust ourselves to you only. To have no other gods in our lives before you. Help us to keep up the good fight of the faith then too. And realize that time here is limited. 
and that we really need to get ready for eternity with you. And what are the few years we have here compared to to eternity with you? Help us then to live for you and, and for that eternity with you, Father. We pray this in Christ's name, the one who freed us by his cross. In his name we pray, amen.